0: Hi, I'm US Senator Debbie Stabenow and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner show. Hey, good
4: morning everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner kicking off another week, another month of uh, 2021. It is the 1st of uh, February and uh tomorrow is Groundhog Day. It'll be interesting to see how that plan how that plays out on Zoom um, because it's going to be a virtual Uh, event I understand anyway we got a great show uh, in store today coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour we're going to talk again with Jeff Herman from uh, Lawn Starter they do these surveys and they're really fun Um, this particular one is um, what are the dirtiest cities in America and no not that kind of dirty Um, which cities are due for a good spring cleaning. And uh, and they rank them. Um, let's see. Yeah, Detroit made the list, but, it, you know, it was fairly close to the bottom of the top 20. Um, anyway, we're going to talk about that with Jeff Herman. That's coming up, uh, as I mentioned, in, in a couple hours in the third half of our three-hour tour. Before that, we're going to talk with author... Carlton Scott Andrew. He's kind of a new author because he is a self described entrepreneur, a holic. And he has written a book called The Rugged Entrepreneur What Every Disruptive Business Leader Should Know. And you'll find out what he means by disruptive business leader. But first, we start out with a conversation with. the professor of gender and sexuality studies at University of California Riverside Jane Ward talking about her book uh, the tragedy of heterosexuality and um, and and the, and the question that that Jane Ward hopes to uh, answer is um, is that is the heterosexual culture making straight women and men Miserable. She explores the heterosexual status quo in our conversation coming up in just a moment. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. Professor Jane Ward and I will continue in just a moment. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is Professor of Gender and Sexuality Studies at University of California, Riverside, where she teaches courses in uh, feminist, queer, and heterosexuality studies. She has a new book called The Tragedy of Heterosexuality, um, and uh, her name is Jane Ward. We're going to talk with Jane. She joins me by phone. Jane, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
4: Um, is there a tragedy? Well, let me let me figure this out here because the, <laughs> the, the the title of your book, "The Tragedy of Heterosexuality," m- makes me react almost like I did the first time I heard the phrase "white privilege." Um, I'm mm-hmm. not sure what to say or what to feel or what to do about that. Um you know, my my first thought is the tra- tragedy of heterosexuality is divorce, but um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've had, I've had a couple of those. Um, but but what what do you consider to be the tragedy of heterosexuality? That seems like it's the default position where everybody should be or kind of expects to feel safe
1: hmm.
0: Absolutely. Well, I agree with you that divorce is one of the tragedies of heterosexuality. Absolutely. And I do write about that in the book. Uh, and also the title is intended to be pretty attention grabbing, because the argument itself is pretty nuanced. And it's hard to get people really into that into into the argument until they're well into the book. But but basically, the the idea for this book came from conversations that I have been having in my adult life for the last 20 years with straight women. So I'm a lesbian. I came out in my early 20s, but m- many of my um, closest women friends are straight women in relationships with men. Many of them now, since I'm in my late 40s, are divorced. And one of the things that I started to notice was that so many of these women spent a lot of time complaining about their relationships with men, um, complaining about men in general, and complaining about the specifics of their particular relationship. That the men they were with didn't do an equal amount of parenting work. The men they were with um, didn't do their fair share of maintaining the house. They maybe were a little emotionally absent, um, or they expected a lot of emotional labor from their wives and girlfriends. And so just generally so much complaint. And I started to to think about that, what I was hearing from straight women, in comparison with what I was hearing in the broader culture about Uh, Basically, you know, isn't it so hard and sad and difficult to be gay because there's so much discrimination that being gay is sort of a sad and lonely life. And I just thought, wait a second, there's a contradiction here because my queer friends actually really love their queer lives. And it's the straight women in my life who seem miserable. So it was holding that tension in view that led me into this project.
1: Is there a greater
4: expectation in heterosexuality of, quote, happy ever after?
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know, heterosexuality is the gold standard for relationships, girls, more so girls than boys, but boys in a different way are primed early in childhood through Disney movies and so forth and, you know, the toys that are marketed to them to imagine that uh, happiness, it comes with marriage and with, you know, a committed, loving, heterosexual relationship. And, you know, I want to be clear that this book really isn't about individual straight people. There are so, so many exceptions to to the rule, of course. Um, it's about straight culture and the false promises of straight culture and how much that um, ultimately causes damage for women and for men who were led to believe that heterosexuality was, or that straight culture and straight privilege was going to provide them with a lot of happiness, when in fact we know that half of heterosexual marriages end in divorce there's just a lot of suffering there Uh,
4: i can't help wondering i I mentioned to you before we went on the air jane that that i I grew up in a leave it to beaver house um Mm i'm in i'm in my 60s i grew up you know in the in the 60s and in 70s and um you know we had mom and dad at home and and uh I had a sister. We were the nuclear family. I don't think we even knew to call it that until well into the 60s. But it was um kind of idyllic. You know, it's 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 weird to say, but it was a functional household. And it was reinforced and you mentioned this with uh with with toys and movies and things. It was reinforced by television programs and and films. And the roles in our house seemed very clear. And the expectations, the needs met the expectations. And so I I can't help wondering if if the gold standard that you referenced a moment ago is um, just simply not met by individuals rather than a systemic problem?
0: Hmm. Well, I think one way to think about that question or the context that you provided is to look at how functional was it really in the 1950s or for whom was it so functional. So one of the chapters in this book um, is based on archival research of self-help books for mostly for women, but they really were marketed as marital self-help books starting in the early 20th century and then into the present. And what I found was that in the early 20th century, this is kind of, you know, 1900 to 1930, before the rise of the discipline of psychology, most marital help, self-help books were written by um, physicians. Like family doctors and sexologists, many of whom were eugenicists, people who believed that the fundamental goal was to encourage reproduction among, you know, white middle-class people and discourage reproduction among people that they imagined had, you know, a less desirable gene pool. And so they really um, were trying to encourage mostly straight white men and women to have more harmonious marriages because they believed that if they did, they would have sex more often and they would have children. But in attempting to uh, explain why this was important, they also described in these books um, what they saw as the status quo for marriage at the time. And I was really shocked to see how many of these family doctors described Um, such frequent marital rape that, um, you know, women were, what they were finding among their patients was that women were raped on their wedding night by their husbands. They were resentful. They were afraid of their husbands. They didn't want to have sex with their husbands. And so these early self-help books were really all about trying to um, help straight men and women Find each other more desirable, um, better understand each other, and and in that project they recognize that there's nothing natural about men and women uh, being being um, interested in one another, uh, friendly with one another. That that was something that had to be cultivated, and then you know when we move into the 1950s, it's an equally de- though different depressing story. <laughs> so you know we start to see these marriage manuals really targeted at women and now they're written by psychologists and they're basically like instructions for women to um, understand that their husbands have more value than themselves that you know when he comes home from work the best thing that you can do is be quiet don't bother him with any of your problems Um, treat him like the king of the castle he's you know having to deal with the stress of the public realm and you're, you know, you should just be clean and look lovely. And that comes through in all of these self-help books, but also in um, all of the advertising of the time really communicated that message to women that, you know, their primary value was in making their husbands feel loved and affirmed, but their own needs, um, even have needs, emotional needs, intellectual needs, was just inappropriate for women. So anyway, you know, this takes different forms through the 20th century, but we see the the through line is basically sexism, that, you know, women were repeatedly told that marriage is a sacrifice, it's a a self-sacrifice that you make in order to um, have children, and you're not really supposed to be happy.
4: More with Professor Jane Ward, author of The Tragedy of Heterosexuality, straight ahead.
5: Hello, out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger, T I Double Gur, that
0: spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner's program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
2: Wearing a
4: mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties, make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash coronavirus.
2: Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
4: More with Professor Jane Ward, author of The Tragedy of Heterosexuality, straight ahead.
0: So I think when we look back at, like, the Leave it to Beaver, we have to think about, you know, were women really happy or were women really just conforming?
4: Well, and 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 that's um, a, a, certainly uh, an important way to look at it, um, and and that's why I was very careful in my phrasing to say that the expectations were met. Um, yes, I, I don't know what all of the desires might have been, but you know there was this sense that the expectations were being met. Dad did what he was supposed to do. Mom did what she was supposed to do. Um, they weren't likely to talk to their children about money and sex and you know some of the things that that couples deal with. Um, but uh, coming up in that in that environment. Um, it it left me and a lot of people from my generation not really knowing how to communicate.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: When did I think com- that's right? When did communication become the answer to so many of these problems? And and I'm asking it that way because you kind of gave a. a a, a brief history of of the writing and the thinking of um, first family doctors and then psychologists and so on. Um, a, a history through the self help books,
0: right? So the emphasis on communication comes in the nineteen nineties, and or it really peaks in the nineteen nineties with John Gray's book, "Men Are from Mars, Women Are from Venus," and. You know That book is building on many of the themes that had been present for decades in the self-help literature for straight couples. But what it makes exceedingly clear that I think some of the other books had not is that, is that men and women don't naturally get along with one another. And therefore, marriages are kind of set up to fail unless men and women um, can recognize how fundamentally different they are and accept how fundamentally different they are and then learn how to communicate across those differences so you know part of what happens in that book and and i it's a very significant book as far as i'm concerned because it was actually the best-selling non-fiction book of the entire decade of the 1990s. I mean, that book sold millions of copies globally. It was translated into multiple languages. And that's pretty striking when you think about the central message of that book, which is that, you know, mostly men and women don't like each other. (laughs) And so they really have to do a lot of work to figure out how to manipulate each other into getting what they want. He teaches men and women a lot of tricks for getting their needs met. Um, so it's not really about... He, he doesn't believe that men and women can connect at a deeper level or that we could get to the root causes of the problems. He's interested in, in teaching men and women a series of tricks that will help them get their needs met.
4: I, it was It's kind of interesting, Jane. I was reading some material about your book, and I came across a phrase... Building a foundation toward a future in which straight men like women so much that they actually like women, and I thought that was yeah. an interesting phrase. And the first thing that popped into my head was, I liked women a lot better before I got married.
1: <laughs> okay,
4: and why is that? I I'm I don't I have no idea what that means, Jane. But that's but but it occurred to me that I really did like women. That didn't necessarily mean I was going to have successful marriages.
0: Right, right. Well, in many ways, straight marriages, like I said, are set up to fail. I mean, one of the arguments that I make in this book is that you can't have a society in which misogyny or men's hatred of women is kind of still present in the broader culture, in the, you know, the popular culture that we consume. You can't have a president of the United States who brags about grabbing women's genitals. You, you can't think that all of that is going to be circulating in the broader environment, but also tell men they're supposed to really respect and love women. And then, you know, boom, you're in, you're in a marriage and, you're supposed to hold those tensions together, and so what I argue at the end of this book, the last chapter of the book, is about how can we heal this, and um, it's precisely um, the the phrase that you just mentioned, which I call deep heterosexuality, that it's not that we need straight people to be queerer or we need straight people to, <laughs> you know, have a different sexual orientation. It's that we need straight people's sexual orientation, especially men's, to be more authentic. Because from a lesbian perspective, if you're attracted to women, you're not just attracted to women's bodies. You want what's best for women collectively. You are invested in women as a group. You want women's freedom. You want to know that the women that you are with or the women that you're having sex with are freely choosing you, you know, you're wanting to know that they are having like liberated sex with you, you know? And so, um, so basically I'm offering like, here's a set of tips from a lesbian about how to, to love women, to have sex with women and to respect women at the same time.
4: Our, are gay marriages vastly different than heterosexual marriages?
0: Well, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, I am in no way suggesting that gay people are perfect, obviously. You know, we hurt each other, we cheat on each other, we lie to each other. You know, we're humans just like everybody else. So, but what is different is that our relationships aren't set up from the beginning. Um, with a kind of gender antagonism or with a presumption that we've brought together two people with such fundamentally different genders that we might as well be from two different planets, that so we're really going to have to struggle to one- understand one another. But so because of that, you don't have, you know, in gay marriages, this idea of like an old ball and chain or feeling trapped or, you know, it doesn't really make sense to have a bachelor party organized around your like your last night of freedom, because nobody's relating to marriage as a kind of um, containment or sacrifice in the way that straight culture often imagines it. And so because of that, I think because there's an egalitarianism that's built into queer culture Um, The research does bear this out. It does show that um, same-sex couples are much more likely to equally divide household and parenting labor. And since we know from research on divorce, since we know that women initiate the majority of divorces, and we know that women sense that the marriage was unjust in some way is one of the primary causes of divorce... um, and that way, I think, same-sex relationships are better set up for success because they're more egalitarian.
4: I find it interesting that in uh, heterosexual marriages, the, um, the bride is given away by her father right. to her husband, but it's often the man that feels trapped.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> Just and a it's little a, it's irony there. a weird there.
0: dynamic. Right, right. It's a bizarre dynamic to um, to live in a culture that so glorifies, idolizes heterosexuality, you know, that thinks it's just so wonderful when the people, when at the same time we're telling the story about marriage as a kind of trap. Literally, you know, the imagery of the ball and chain is that a man is shackled by this marriage. So, you know, and we just have decades of a story about battle of the sexes and um, and, you know, so much. I talk about all of the examples in straight culture of things that straight couples can buy, you know, t-shirts that are jokes about how miserable their marriage is and it's just it's it's a bizarre paradox.
4: Oh, Henny Youngman. You know, take my wife, well, please.
0: Yes, right. <laughs> right. Right. So, so this You know the reason then for this book is to say for queer people looking at this from the outside heterosexuality looks odd at best and pretty miserable at worst and so many queer people actually feel tremendous relief to have escaped um, what often looks like a pretty miserable situation, and that's not something that we get to hear very often because it, you know, doesn't. It's it's not consistent with heteronormativity. It's not something that straight people want to hear. So therefore, we don't get to hear it, even though it is the experience that many gay people have.
4: what percentage, um, is uh, at one time, I think it was something like 50% of all marriages fail. Are the numbers still about that?
0: They are. I mean, what's happening now is that fewer people are marrying. And, you know, so I'm thinking about my brother who's straight and has been in a relationship with his girlfriend for over 15 years and they've just decided not to get married. And, you know, he's, he's about to turn 40, Um, we know that people, younger generations, are less likely to get married, and so it'll be really interesting to see how that affects the divorce statistics, because it might mean that, you know, people are self-selecting into marriage, or people don't have to divorce because they're not married in the first place
4: really if they if they decide it's not working for them they just walk away
0: right yeah what
4: are there are, are, is there a formula for a successful marriage, heterosexual or otherwise
0: yes i mean i I think there probably are many formulae, but the one that i put forward in the book is that we have been trying for about 120 years now, the formula in the self-help industry, which is um, to say, men and women, you are so different from one another. So what you need to do is learn to manipulate one another. And so that might look like, for, for instance, the in Men Are From Mars, Men Are From Venus, the... You know, John Gray says, you'll never get your husband to do his equal share of the household labor. So you have to do things like put the trash can out in the middle of the room, but not mention it so that he knows to take the trash out. Or you have to, when he does the littlest thing, let's say that he picks up his socks, then you have to shower him with praise because then that will encourage him to do it again. Or, you know, you, many of, these, of the books that have come out in the last 20 years are about teaching women how to give men the, the amount of affirmation and praise that you would expect a parent to give a toddler. You know, just like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, look at you. You cleaned the bathroom. What? You know. And so none of this actually works because, you know, again, it's been offered to men and women for 120 years, it does not actually resolve the problem, which is that women ultimately get really tired of having to mother men. Um, If you have two adults in a relationship, one adult shouldn't have to constantly be showering the other one with praise for basic human functioning, like picking up one's own socks. So, instead Instead of that, what I suggest is that um, men and women um, develop basically a deep friendship with one another, a kind of mutual regard that is based on um, respect and true knowing of one another, a lot of identification with one another, and that they abandon this idea that they're fundamentally different kinds of people. A lot goes into how that happens, but that's the paradigm shift that I think we
2: need.
4: It's—I've heard for years that um, kind of kind of an old wives' tale, which in itself is kind of an offensive phrase, but um, that men are looking for their mothers and women are looking for their fathers. Is there or has there ever been any truth to that, and and is that changing generationally?
0: Well, I think that that is a sort of a self fulfilling story. It's a story that benefits gender inequality, and it's a story. It's an outcome that gender inequality reproduces. So, because another way of saying that is. That men are looking to marry a woman who will take care of them, who will basically, you know, um, do all of the basic self-care for them that they should be doing for themselves, and that women are looking for um, an authority figure, you know, a, a, a sort of powerful man who... um Tells them what to do, basically. But again, we know that actually, while that story may be true for men, in the end, it doesn't work for women. Women don't want to stay in a marriage with a man who can't take care of himself. So I think it's an outdated story. I think um, to the extent that it's true, it's true because gender inequality makes it true, that People would go out to seek that because maybe that's what their parents did or that's what they've been told is appropriate or that's what they've been told is how how heterosexuality works. But does it make people happy? No.
4: A lot of the behaviors we're talking about are learned, either from the role models we've had in our lives or media influences, societal influences, are there things that we need to be aware of and avoid so that we're not negatively impacted?
0: I would say a good place to start is to be critical of any narrative, whether it's in a movie or a television show or a book, about how women and men are fundamentally different because um, we have a lot of research now suggesting that much of what we have believed about that is simply inaccurate (laughs) and that those the differences that do exist are um, produced by the culture itself so in the same way that we've learned we generally do a pretty good job now in recognizing that you know, if somebody's talking about how white people and black people are two fundamentally different kinds of humans, um, who with different skill sets, who were born with different traits, we know to be skeptical of that because we know that that narrative has been used to cause a lot of harm and we know that it's pretty much false. But people are far slower to develop their critical skills. Uh, for thinking about that with gender. People are pretty attached to the idea that men and women are fundamentally different. And when presented with the research that um, demonstrates that's not the case, they, you know, want to say, oh, you know, that's just political correctness. But I guess the question I want to pose is, you know, what are you gaining from that uh, attachment to that story? And how ha- who is it actually benefiting because um, what I show in this book is that that story mostly just benefits men.
4: The other thing that I wanted to bring up is this um, this this argument that's often used um, in in uh, um, criticizing gay marriage and and gay relationships that it's somehow contrary to biology.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, um, there's so much great um, biological research. This is not my area, but I come across it every now and then. Our students send me links to, you know, there are a lot of ways that animals reproduce <laughs> and there are anim, you know there are animals that engage in what we might consider homosexual sex there are also animals that reprodu- who have gender fluidity within their own body over the course of their life there are asexual animals i mean there's so so that idea is often disconnected from the reality the very diverse reality of species sexuality, of multi-species sexuality. But it's also just a homophobic argument. I mean, it's kind of hard to, to move from there when someone is committed to the idea that homosexuality is unnatural. We know that queer people can and do become parents. I'm a parent myself. So if the concern is that there's no way that queer people could repopulate the planet, we know that's just simply inaccurate.
4: More with Professor Jane Ward, author of The Tragedy of Heterosexuality (laughs)
1: This phone so tight, and i whisper you a good night kiss. I'll see you on the other side when I crawl out of my cage. When the world is purified, I will find you, and I promise this. I'll see you on the Other side And I'll meet you with arms open wide See you on the other side See you on the other side See you on the other side And I'll meet you with arms open wide See you on the other side
5: time Sumner. Program.com. The time Sumner Program.com. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
4: If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it. Take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you're worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit CDC.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe By
3: from the Blue
5: Highlands.
2: Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice
5: Davis.
1: Hi, this is Rochelle Ray.
3: Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office.
0: I'm Gwen pennyman Hempel.
4: The Tom Sumner program celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan.
2: Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean to wash them regularly and always before meals with Lifebuoy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Lifebuoy for hands and face as well as the bath.
5: The Time Program.com The Time Sumner
1: Program.com
2: Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner
4: Program. More with Professor Jane Ward, author of The Tragedy of Heterosexuality Straight Ahead.
0: It doesn't take a heterosexual relationship, it just takes an egg and a sperm.
4: <laughs> Fair enough. Um but but that's but that's an argument that's been used a lot. Um and, and I wonder how often that influences people to maybe squelch their own um their own freedom by buying mm-hmm. into it,
0: right? Definitely, and I, I mean, hom heteronormativity or the belief that heterosexuality is the most natural, normal, and ethical way of sexual relating is the air we breathe. It's very powerful. Um, you know, people experience punishment when they don't conform to it and they experience tremendous rewards when they do. And so it's no wonder that so many people do identify as heterosexual, even when they have same sex desires. Fortunately, that is changing dramatically with each generation. So, um, you know, we know now that with millennials when asked to rate themselves on a sexual orientation scale, almost 50% of them um, identify as not completely heterosexual. And that's a really powerful because, you know, we used to, those kinds of surveys, used to basically ask people, do you identify as a heterosexual or a homosexual? Um, maybe sometimes they include bisexuality there as an option. But with savvier researchers or research tools, um, when you allow people to say, you know, to, to have a broader spectrum on which to identify, we find that a tremendous um number of younger people now will say, I don't feel fully heterosexual. So I think as the broader culture changes, as I think, I know, we see younger people being far more um, open and um, curious about the range of sexual desires they're experiencing or that they could potentially experience.
4: Jane, we're getting close to the end of our time, um, and I am finding this to be such a fascinating conversation, and I realize we're only scratching the surface. My my guest is Jane Ward, uh, professor of gender and sexuality studies at the University of California, Riverside, her new book, The Tragedy of Heterosexuality, is not nearly as scary as it might sound to some heterosexuals. <laughs> um, but, uh, Jane, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, what some good resources are, and to find out if you have a website.
0: I do. Um, I'm at janewardphd.com, and I'm also, this book is also available on Amazon. It's available as of tomorrow um, or September 1st. And um I also tweet at the queer Jane
4: well, Jane, it's been an honor and a privilege to uh chat with you a little bit. Thank you for spending time with me today.
0: Thank you so much, Tom. All
4: right, take care once again. That was uh, Jane Ward, or I should say Dr. Jane Ward, who is a professor of uh, Gender and Sexuality Studies at University of California, Riverside. And she has uh, written a book called The Tragedy of Heterosexuality. We're going to have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. (music)
6: the church where a wedding has been lives in the dream way by the window wearing the faces she keeps in the jar by the door sucks in the night when there's nobody there what does he care all the lonely people where do they all come from all the lonely people where do they all belong oh died in the church and was buried along with the name. Nobody came, Father McKenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? the lonely people where do they all come from all the lonely people where do they all belong up the rice in the church When wedding has been
5: wash my hands I don't touch my face I stay at home Shelter in place. Social distance. Don't go to work. I wear a mask and gloves. I stay away from church. I avoid old folks. And should I sneeze, I do it in my elbow. Of my sleeve Six feet apart That is the room And I pray for the day The kids can go back to school I'm washing my hands Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku BBS and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors and'm sick of what I see. Two more weeks of quarantine will be the death of me the death of me I risk a trip to the grocery store. My TV and a few things more. But when I get there, all I can find is sixteen honey buns and some Mad Dog wine.
1: I'm washing my hands
5: like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, cause I'm sick of what I see. Yeah, two more weeks of this quarantine's gonna be the death of me. The death of me. You know, they say this is war. So we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Porkchop Hill. We just lay here on the couch and watch TV. I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fella that ordered that bad soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, Yes, dear. Yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. What slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. (laughs) Of course, I immediately apologized. (laughs) As Soon as I regained consciousness. You pilots, get off my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Come on, come on, get out of here.